I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29, I'll be reading out the New King James Version as is my custom. We'll be reading the entirety of this chapter for our study this morning. Jeremiah 29, God's Word declares, Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jehoiachin, the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah. Jamara, Jamariah, I practiced that one too. I practiced it too many times. The son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, so they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, After seventy years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to turn to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me. And go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. Because you have said, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, therefore... Thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, concerning all the people who dwell in the city, and concerning your brethren who have not gone out with you into captivity. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will send on them the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, and will make them like rotten figs that cannot be eaten, they are so bad. And I will pursue them with the sword, the famine, and with with famine and with pestilence, and I will deliver them to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a curse, an astonishment, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. Because they have not heeded my words, says the Lord, which I sent to them by my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, neither would you heed, says the Lord. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you of the captivity whom I sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Coliah, And Zedekiah, the son of Maasaiah, who prophesy a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will slay them before your eyes. And because of them, a curse shall be taken up by all the captivity of Judah who are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make you like Zedekiah 
and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire, because they have done disgraceful things in Israel, have committed adultery with their neighbors as wives, and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know and am a witness, says the Lord. You shall also speak to Shemaiah, Nehalamite, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, You have sent letters to your name to all the peop- in your name to all the people who are at Jerusalem, to Zephaniah, the son of Maasiah, the priest, and to all the priests, saying, The Lord has made you priests instead of Jehoiada, the priest. So there should be officers in the house of the Lord over every man who is demented and considers himself a prophet, that you should put him in prison and in the stocks. Now therefore, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, who makes himself a prophet to you? For he has sent to us in Babylon, saying that this captivity is long. Build houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens and eat their fruit. Now Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Send to all those in captivity, saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah the Nehalamite, Because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, and I have not sent him, and he has caused you to trust in a lie, therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah the Nehalamite and his family. He shall not have anyone to dwell among his, this people, nor shall he see the good that I will do for my people, says the Lord, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord. This morning I want to start off by just having you consider what you believe most Bible characters did most days of the week. From early on to men like Enoch, who walked with God and was not because God took him, um, and pressing all the way through to men like the apostles, Paul, um, who served God faithfully until their time to sleep. We read the accounts of their interactions with God in, in formal ways of when God spoke to them, when they had those events in their life. And we tend to start thinking that those were daily occurrences. That somehow that's what it should be like. And every day I should have these special engagements with God. And that somehow daily life, the, the mundane things of life that just need to be done every day just didn't apply to them somehow. And we tend to look at that that way. And we find that when we add up all of these encounters in different lives, we find that they hardly fill a week or two, really, of their whole lives. And so the question becomes, what were they doing the rest of the time? I've often asked myself that. You know, what did Abraham do most of the time? Well, most of the time he was just taking care of the sheep. His family. Doing weird things and like shearing and butchering and, and shepherding. Uh, when we look, go through and look at some of these, and we even look at the Apostle Paul, and we say, well, Dale, he was writing, he was very active. Uh, and somehow we've lost track of the fact that 
um, on a day-to-day -day basis, mostly he was making tents. That's what his occupation was. He supported not only himself, but some of the other men that traveled with him. The indication was that they would help him in his uh, employ, and that's how he got to know, uh, oh, I always get them mixed up, Priscilla and Aquila. That's how he gets to know them. I always get Priscilla and Aquila mixed up with the other couple that we don't want to talk about. Um, and it's the, the ones that lied. So I get those two couples mixed up all the time in my mind, some re reason, Anna Sapphira versus Aquila and Priscilla. So he finds them in some kind of uh, similar setting with similar occupation. And we forget that these individuals in the Bible uh, led really pretty common lives with the exception that they had an uncommon relationship with God. And for most all of us, that's an, a word of encouragement because we tend to think that, well, you know, cooking the meals, making the beds, uh, going to work, these are things that are not very exciting for the things of God, and yet we find that these are the very things that God is honored in. And we're going to find just such a command in Jeremiah 29, a very different command than what they were hearing from others, for the people of Israel, of Judah, who had gone into captivity in Babylon. It really becomes a letter not only for them, but for all those in captivity, for certainly the northern tribes of Israel were also in captivity at this time. They were also dispersed among the nations, and God is inclusive of them in the letter. Um, whether they had opportunity to read or not, he wanted to, all Israel to know that his promises were to all of them, and would be fulfilled one day. And so we are going to look at some clear instructions by God for his expectations for his people living in a strange place. And that is our condition. We are such a people. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. But we may be passing through for a lifetime. And God has some expectations over us in that lifetime uh, that are maybe not as spectacular as, as you may think. And you might look at a book like Daniel and say, well, that's what it should be like. Um, but the fact is, is that there was really only a few occasions where Daniel encountered opposition of the nature that threatened his life. Most of his days were spent on the daily grind of work of supervising his satraps and overseeing his responsibilities. And that's what we want to look at this morning, which uh, characterizes most all of our lives. And so let's go, Lord, prayer before we do so. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for this word and for your, for your spirit within us to guide us into its truth. We pray you might do so today. You might uh, guard this time from error and opinion, as always. And Lord, we... Uh, do pray that you might impact our lives and our attitudes because of our time spent in your word. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to chapter 29, and of course we hopefully have a good handle on the circumstances. Uh, Babylon has taken captive um, all the best of Jerusalem, 
He has taken them to Babylon. This is now the second time. Remember under Jehoiakim, he killed him and took and, and sacked it. He put his son in that place and uh, Jehoiachin, he rebelled and he was only 18 years old and rebellion is just natural for an 18 year old. His mom was really reigning with him um, and uh, apparently Nebuchadnezzar thought there was some future for him yet and maybe he was misguided, misled, maybe by his uncle. Um, and so he takes him back to Babylon along with all the best and brightest that Jerusalem had to offer of every, uh, from, from those that worked with their hands to the priests and prophets to the kings. He just took them of the whole spectrum of Jerusalem, took the best and brightest with him, set up Zedekiah uh, as the king, and of course Zedekiah is the one that is going to reign for quite a little while, and before he gives full rebellion and requires Nebuchadnezzar come down and completely destroy him. Uh, and so we find this letter written to those that were carried away, particularly under um, Babylon's second invasion. We find that uh, they have some false prophets, just like there were false prophets back in Jerusalem who were telling King Zedekiah that he shouldn't even bother with the Babylonians because God's going to clean house in less than two years. And we met that man and saw his demise last week. So in Babylon, prophets were sending letters to their kin in Babylon saying, um, you guys are going to be heading back. The prophets here are saying you're only going to be there for a couple of years at maximum and you'll be back here. And so we're going to assign you priests, and we're going to assign you responsibilities, and we're just figure, we're just planning on you being back here in a couple of years. And it created an, uh, it created an environment in Babylon that was not conducive to God's working in their lives. It created a, an attitude that we're not even going to invest ourselves at all here in Babylon. We're not going to unpack. We're not going to uh, sink down roots at all. Um, we'll just put our lives on hold for a few months, 20, 24 months, and plan on going back. And we'll just kind of sit here and fold our arms and just uh, twiddle and wait to see what God's going to do. Kind of like Jonah sitting up on the hill, just going to watch Nineveh to be destroyed. Um, and that was the attitude among the people. And it was reinforced by some of the those being carried away captive. And we find that they raised up for themselves some prophets that confirmed all of this. And in fact, some of the people dreamed their own dreams to confirm it. And that we're going to talk about when we, got, when we get to that passage. So here's the prevailing spirit in Babylon among the Jewish people is that we have no reason to give any credence to the Babylonians. God's going to judge them. We'll be out of here in two years max. And so we have no reason to respect or honor them. Now, was that true of everyone? Probably not. Obviously, Daniel and his friends were not of that ilk at all. We don't see that in his spirit anywhere in the midst of that, of, of the accounts there in the book of Daniel. But it was the majority that were that way, and, and it was the message they wanted to hear. They liked the idea that, okay, we're humbled, and now God's going to bring us back. Um, and God tells Jeremiah, send them this letter. And this is the letter sent out um, by Jeremiah. 
And we find right away that God says, I sent you there. I caused this to happen. In verse 4, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. And so right away, God wants to establish something, and that is that he is not on the side of the Jews. He is on the side of Babylon. He's the one who was against them, not Nebuchadnezzar. God is for Nebuchadnezzar and is using him and the country, nation, state of Babylon to exercise his wrath against his people. And so they're sitting there still thinking that they're the blessed of God and that these Babylonians, these heathen, these wicked, nasty Babylonians are just going to, God's going to wipe the floor with them any time now. God says, um, no, it's not that way. I'm on their side. I'm against you. I caused you to be carried away because you were in rebellion against me. And in fact, now in captivity, if you're listening to all these false prophets, you're still in rebellion to me. And so it's no mistaking that by the time we get to the end of this letter, he says, you're still in rebellion because you're listening to these false prophets. He still has the same problem. And so to penetrate their hearts and to truly extract this rebellious spirit, it's going to take some time. And he is making it very evident from the very beginning I cause you to be carried from Jerusalem to Babylon. You're going to stay there as long as I say. You're going to stay there as long as necessary for you to truly be humbled. And so he has this command to him. Um, we know exactly how long you're going to be there. He declares that. He, he decides that based upon how many Sabbaths of uh, years of Jubilee and, and that they passed and, and didn't observe, how many Sabbath uh, rests that they did not take for the land. And so he, he, that, he didn't just randomly come up with that. That's how he came up with that time. So if, you're going to be there for 70 years. So here's what you're going to do. For 70 years, how do you serve God? Well, verse 5 says, build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens, eat their fruit. Take wives, beget sons and daughters. Take wives to your sons and give your daughters to your husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters. That's grandchildren. So not only are you going to have kids, you're going to be there long enough to have your kids have kids. Plan on having grandchildren in Babylon. All of this is for a purpose, and that purpose is really described at the end of verse 6, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And so we find that they are called upon that if you want to honor me, if you want to recognize that God brought us here, that this is the will and purpose of God that is an exercise of his wrath to judge us. And so I'm going to stay put here and listen to him. The evidence of that is for me to be doing very ordinary things. But they show an attitude, an attitude that recognizes that as long as God has me here, I will be content to be here. As long as God has me here, I will be content to be here. When someone comes along and says, well, you know, don't, don't bother because you're going to be here less than two years, you, it builds a discontentment in your life. It builds an attitude and a spirit, and out of discontentment comes rebellion. 
So, well, I, don't, I shouldn't find anything here that, that to engage myself in, to put roots into, to invest myself in. And God says, no, you're going to honor me because I have put you there to fulfill my purposes in your life and in the Babylonians' life and later in the Persians, the Medes and the Persians' lives. I have purpose for you there. You're going to fulfill that. And the way you honor me, the way you, I can recognize people who are accepting my purposes is by you increasing in the place I put you. You're going to build a house and live in it. Be content. If I'm going to move you out of there, I'll move you out of there when I'm ready. But I'm telling you right now, it's going to be 70 years. So settle down. Build the house. Live in it. Get married. Have kids. Have grandkids. Marry off your, your kids. You know, get your sons, wives, and get your daughters, husbands. Work that out. Have grandchildren. Plant gardens. Eat from them. <laughs> Do you get the idea? I want you to be where I plant you. I want you to be where I put you. I want you to be content there and to thrive there. God's intent is that we thrive where he places us. Now, does that mean there's never any contention, that there's never any high points Obviously, there's going to be contention. We can go to the book of Daniel. We can go to the book of Esther. We can see that there were, in fact, substantial things happening. Uh, but the everyday life was normative. We're going to live here. We're going to eat here. We're going to get our food from here. We're going to have our kids here. We're going to have our grandkids here. We are going to be content here. Even though this isn't really home, and we all know it. I want you to remind you that. What is the promise of God? Eventually, I'll take you back. This isn't your permanent dwelling place, even though from a human perspective, you built a house, planted a garden, had kids and grandkids. It looks pretty permanent from a human side, but we have a different perspective we're looking at things that this stuff is all going to be destroyed, and that our home is somewhere else. But even while our longing, our home, our homeland are, is somewhere else, doesn't mean that we are derelict in, in where we are and functioning in a manner that is honoring and beneficial to our community. It is sad when the days come when Christians behave so unwisely. Yes, we are longing for Christ's return. We are expectant of Christ's return at any moment. We want it to happen. I certainly want it to happen in my lifetime. Either that or I want my lifetime to be a lot shorter. One or the other, because I don't want to be here much longer. Um, but I'm content. But when Christians start to take that spirit of expectancy of what God has in store for us one day and it builds discontentment with this day in this place we fail to serve God we serve God best by being content in what we have and where we have it and to establish ourselves there and to thrive 
He says, while you're there, I want you to increase. Why? Well, for their circumstances, what was the reason? Well, <laughs> all your brethren back home that are sending you letters, they're going to die. They're going to die in wholesale numbers. By the sword, by famine, by pestilence. I'm going to empty that land of your kin. Ah, you need to multiply because you are going to provide the residence for that holy place. So you need to thrive. You need to multiply. You need to increase in the land. And much like during the days of Joseph, the 230 years, 215 years of, from in Egypt that, that Israel was there, for during those years of multiplication, where they went in with a, a number you can count easily to a number that was difficult to count when they came out. So you should multiply, thrive. For us, we have a similar instruction. By the way, I just want to share with you, um, this chapter was one of the first chapters I ever preached out of um, after I graduated from seminary. This was the chapter. And I had to preach it to a bunch of preachers. Boy, that's a scary thing. That was my assignment in candidate school. Um, I had to go and preach in front of all my peers and all of our mission personnel. And they, were, had, no, they had evaluation sheets. Everybody in there had an evaluation sheet. Can you imagine that? Some of you are going, yeah, let's have some of those. And this is my passage that I've selected. I said, it's time we stop neglecting our cities and we got to get into them. And... Bring peace into our cities. But one of the things that we are called upon to minister is to simply be citizens that are a benefit to our community. And that is part of our ministry. That wherever the church goes, there should be a benefit to the community. That we should be the hardest working, that our houses should be neat and tidy, that um, we should be places of security where there is a confidence that there's not going to be illegal activity going on there, that there's not going to be uh, dangerous events occurring, uh, that these are people that are reliable, that we can depend upon. That's what should be known of the church in a community. We should be productive members of society. Seeking the welfare of those that, frankly, we kind of have dreams of them being destroyed because they deserve it. not sitting about waiting for God's hand to be moved against them, but rather, in verse 7, to seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. Yes, yeah, we have a big bug flying around. You guys are all distracted right now. But I'll just wait. It's just a big bug. But I'll wait. 
because this is pretty important. We pray for our city. We pray for our nation. We pray for them. Now, remember who Israel is praying for. They're praying for Jerusalem. And yes, there are passages pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But here we have a passage where the Jews are told to pray for the peace of Babylon. Pray for the peace there. And participate in it. That you should be seeking it out. In all of your activities, you should be seeking out peace in the place where God has put you. Perhaps for a lifetime. But a lifetime on earth is not very long. And so wherever God has caused us to be carried away, caused us to be almost held captive, where we would rather be in another place, we seek the peace, the welfare, the benefit of the community in which God has placed us. We care for those around us, though they hate us. And there's no mistaking when we encounter a man like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, while we focus often upon one or two instances, and remember, it is one or two instances of civil disobedience, that when it became in direct conflict with their worship, they disobeyed. But overwhelmingly, for 70 years, they sought the benefit of the nation in which they were in. They sought their welfare. And I keep going back to that whole period of time when Nebuchadnezzar was out there in the fields eating grass like an animal. It's hard to believe that when he humbled himself before God and God restored him to his mind that his entire kingdom was waiting for him, intact, without any rebellion. You might say, how in the world can that be? Because men like Daniel sought the peace of their community. And they sought to preserve it for the rightful leadership. They knew who was king, whether he's eating grass in a field like an ox, or whether he is strutting around in the palace. They knew who was king. And they honored him. They served him. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Three generationally. Me, my kids, and my grandkids will serve God in Babylon by seeking what's best for Babylon. It is phenomenal to think about how extensive this became. When you go to the book of Nehemiah and you see how highly placed he was, you go to the book of Esther and you see how in the Persian Empire, how, how, and you go, how did that happen? By the time we get to the Persian period, um, most all of the banking was being done by Jews. Even back then. It was incredible. Think about it. These guys showed up in Babylon almost naked. That's all they had to show for themselves. And within 70 years, they're pretty much running the empire. The queen, Mordecai, Nehemiah, you go right through them, as well as Daniel and his friends. Because they sought 
what was best for their community. They are willing to invest themselves in these sometimes very public roles. And sometimes that put a great big target on them too by those that were jealous of those roles that they had, right? And that would happen to Daniel because he was elevated above his peers who were mostly Chaldeans and they put a big target. I don't know, that was a Persian period. We want to take him out. And they couldn't find fault with him in anywhere but one. That was his worship. Oh, that that would be our testimony. And I believe that is what the New Testament calls us exactly to. Is that there should be nothing in our lives that the world can point to and judge us for, except it be for your walk with God. And both in uh, Thessalonians, in, in Peter, it says, if you're going to be punished, make sure you're being punished for righteousness and not for your evil. Don't be patient in accepting punishment when you were bad. Everyone's that. They're guilty. But when you get punished, when you get injured, when you get wronged because you're doing what's right and what's best, be patient in that. Rejoice in it. Because your goal is to seek the best for your society, for your community, to participate in it. And I know we have several public servants here, whether on many levels, from the school system to the federal government. We have them here. And God calls us to participate while we are here to seek the peace. And we know that ultimately personal peace will come through Jesus Christ. But in terms of a community, in terms of a nation, a city, we do that by investing ourselves in the, the act of citizenship, even though I don't count myself a citizen. I want to be the best citizen of Albuquerque, even though I don't really want to be called a citizen of Albuquerque. Because I'm a citizen of heaven. None of these Jews wanted to be called Babylonians, did they? They kept themselves Jews. They kept separate. But they invested themselves in this strange land, and they were for its benefit always. If they're obedient to this letter, many, many were, became that way in the months to follow. And so, the Lord says, you do this, then a day will come, and I'm jumping down to verse 12, then you'll call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. And then, I'll bring you back from your captivity. I'll gather you from every nation, not just Babylon, Medes, Persians, it doesn't matter where you went to. I'll gather you back. I want you to notice It is when we are content to live and be where God puts us that then our prayers are heard. You see, we're sure that it is the, the spiritual activity that God, that, that God is in, only the spiritual activity that God is really interested in. It's when I'm fasting, it's when I'm, I'm doing these kind of things, and I'm not going to discredit those things. But what I want you to understand is that it matters to God your record at work of untimeness. It matters 
to God how you keep your house and what it looks like from the front street to your neighbors. It matters. God takes these things into consideration because they are an expression of worship. They are communicating that I am content where I am. I will be a steward of all that God has put under my realm of responsibility and I will do them for what is best not only for me but more importantly for my city, for my community, for my family. I want what's best out there and therefore I will seek the peace. I will pray for my neighbors and my city, for my government officials. I'll pray for my bosses. I'll pray for my parents. I'll pray for those. Even though they despitefully use me, I will be the best worker, the best neighbor. I will strive to do everything for their benefit. And God says, then I will listen to your prayers. Now, all of you that have been through marital counseling with me, you guys know what I tell you, is that if God's not listening to your prayers, what's going on? Well, the first place you better look is how you're treating your wife. Because God says that if you're treating, mistreating your wife, your prayers will not be answered, period. That's point blank right there in the Bible. Okay? Now I'm going to add to your list. You ready? <laughs> Build houses, dwell on them, plant gardens, eat of them, have children, have grandchildren. And these things matter to God. They matter to your prayer life. That you invest yourself, not that that's the purpose of your life, but the purpose of your life is to be an instrument of peace to our world. And yes, it matters. And people notice the difference. They should notice that you walk into your house and it's different than other houses. It should be noticeable that your children are different than other children. It should be noticeable. It might put a target on you sometimes. That's okay. Praise the Lord for that. He'll take care of you. But oh, that we would be different and be noticed that this is a place where we are safe, where there is peace, where there is benefit. And shame on us if we are causing and stirring up rebellion in our communities, in any form, at work, at school, at home, at church. And so, these things matter. And yes, as always, there's going to be a different voice than what you just heard. You have a choice. Because there will be others that are going to complain. There are going to be others that say, oh, you can't possibly seek their benefit, their welfare, their peace. Because God's just going to destroy them all. Yes, he is. And the question is, will their blood be on you or not? And this takes us to another passage in Ezekiel that I don't have time really to go into, but we'll be reading it maybe this evening, and about the watchman. And God tells Ezekiel, you know, if the watchman doesn't tell the city and doesn't blow the horn and alert the city when the army is sneaking up on it, 
Even if the watchman escapes, he's guilty for all the lives lost because he didn't do his job. And then he tells him similarly, if you don't tell people that there is a judgment coming, if you don't do your job to communicate them that they are sinners and that God is the judge and holy and righteous and will destroy them if they do not repent and come to him, then the Bible says God holds you guilty of their blood. So yes, it matters in your ministry that, that you are calling them to peace, not only by sharing, giving them a track, track, but to demonstrate that you have nothing but their welfare in your heart. That you seek what is best for them. You seek what is best for your boss and your co-workers. And those two might seem to be in opposition to each other many times, but it isn't. That's the perception. Because there's always going to be those that are going to tell lies. There's always going to be the complainers. There's always going to be the rebel rousers, aren't there? They're always going to be around, and you have a choice of who to listen to. Are you going to listen to the complainers who are going to bring discontentment into your life and make you a sour non-worker at work? Or are you going to listen to the man of God who says, seek the peace. Seek what's best for your community. Invest yourself in it. Don't be afraid to stand up and say, oh, king, live forever. I think that's what Daniel said to his king. King Nebuchadnezzar. Darius. It goes right down to Cyrus. Oh, king, live forever. I'm on your side. I know that the society would know that we're on their side of what is best for them. In the midst of all of the, the lies, I love to hear i got to do this little aside here. It's important, I think, for us to understand. Verse 8, I skipped this. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. I'll let that sink in a little bit. Who's bringing your dreams? You are. You're the origin of your dreams, by and large. When God brings a dream, it's very, 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 very obvious and evident. Uh, but most dreams, I think, fall in this category. God says, um, you're causing your own dreams. <laughs> you're dreaming dreams based upon your subconscious desire to get back to Jerusalem. Based upon that and hearing these lies, you suddenly have a dream and say, I had this dream that went along with what so-and-so said, so it must be true. Because we would rather follow our own experiences and follow our subconscious desires and even our conscious desires than to listen to someone who's telling something we don't like to hear. You mean I have to get along while I'm here? Yes, you have to get along while you're here. It's pretty important to your testimony to get along. To not speak evil of those dignitaries that are over you, which means your professors at college, which means your, your husbands, your parents in your home, your pastors and deacons in your church, um, your political leaders, your bosses, your supervisors, that we're not going to speak evil of them. It's just not going to happen. 
We're going to say ridiculous things like, Oh, king, live forever! To a heathen king. With the hope that one day he'll humble himself before the king of kings and say, My kingdom is yours, which Nebuchadnezzar did finally. And Darius, the god of Daniel's, the man. He's the god. There's the man. There's the god. And even Xerxes with Esther recognized the God of the Jews is God. This is our goal. And one means to that objective is that we are not sitting here with our own, dreaming up our own dreams and, and gathering around us people that tell us what we want to hear to excuse our rebellion, to excuse our discontentment, to excuse us. for not seeking the benefit of our community, but to be a drag on it instead of those that will aid it. And yes, your walk with God is conditioned upon you being a better citizen than the true citizens of this city, state, nation, world. I know we aren't citizens. We know that our citizenship is in heaven, that we long to be there, but God has put us here. And part of our ministry here is to seek the peace not only of individuals through the gospel, but society at large by our investment of ourselves in them. And we can see through history men of God who have done just that and, uh, of course, in our family, our favorite one, of course, is Will, William Wilberforce. And the contention, do I go into the ministry or do I stay in Parliament? And that struggle where I could be preaching the gospel or I could be, and, of course, William Penn, or William, confronts him and says, well, we suggest you do both by doing the will of God and the benefit of the British Empire and he is responsible for without a war of ending slavery in the British Empire and a lot of other societal benefits by engaging it himself in his society but always with a focus on the Lord in his life. And so we come and we recognize God is at work among the nations. And part of his work among the nations is that you are here now. And yes, do what you do every day with all of your heart, mind, and soul for the peace of those around you, the peace of your home, of your community, of your city, state, nation, world, to God's glory and lay hold of every opportunity that affords you to speak the words of peace through Jesus, of Jesus Christ into the hearts and minds of men that you encounter. And so you have a dualness to our ministry here. We have that direct presentation of the gospel where we want to confront people, individuals, with their sin and their need for a savior. 
and the provision of Christ to meet that need. But we also have before us and and a responsibility to a community that we are benefactors to them that they are better off because of our presence here in this town in this neighborhood that we can be relied upon that we are seeking its peace and we ought to be known for that and that is what's wrapped up in the whole idea of contentment. Build your houses, plant your gardens, have kids, have grandkids. And the Lord will get you out of here in his time. Before this time, he has you here. And yes, be ready to take a stand. When you have to take that stand, be ready to take that stand and put it all on the line. All this junk of this world doesn't, isn't that important to me. It's important to God that I use it for his glory to my neighbors. But I'll put it all on the line if someone says it's that or deny your Savior. Yes, I'll put all that on the line. It's not that big a deal. It's just some concrete and wood and nails, stuff that's thrown together. I'll burn it down. But I will not deny my Savior. It is not what I live for, but I recognize that I can use that to seek the benefit of my community that I might have the right then in their mind, in their sight, in their view to communicate to them on an individual level the gospel. And so when I do business in this town, I try to do it in the most upright fashion that they shouldn't have to come after me to pay my bills. They shouldn't have to come out. They shouldn't find me... uh, Anything but the best customer or the best provider of customer service, depending upon my role. That I might have then the reputation that gives me the right to come in and say, you know you're a sinner and you need a savior. And they'll know that I come to them not as their enemy, not as a complainer, not as a discontent person, but as someone who has sought what is best for them, for their family, for their neighborhood, for their city, for their country. And this God calls us to. When he calls us to seek the peace of the city where God has caused you to be carried away. Pray to the Lord for it. And pray for its peace, that you might have peace. Whatever God's purposes are in raising up who he has raised up and raising up this nation in the fashion he has allowed it to be raised up, we are content that he knows his business. And we will be about the regular stuff every day, ready to take a stand if necessary on those high days when he says, today I need your testimony in this land. And that might require the shedding of our blood. But it is equally important that every day we are managers of our lives and of our resources in such a manner to benefit our community for the cause of Christ. That we are ready at any day to suffer the loss of all things that we might gain Christ. But that we are also willing day after day to manage all things under our care for the cause of Christ. In China, 
there is almost a deification, it's not that bad, but there's a glorification of those that have been martyred for Christ. And one pastor who survived, whose brother was one of those sent off to prison and died, um, off says, I don't mean to, sh- to belittle their sacrifice, but he shrugged his shoulders and he says, they had it better. Theirs was the easier way. He says, I'm left behind with less help to do more work and every day to keep pressing on and pressing on and pressing on. And I would contend that if you think that you are capable of standing for Christ when it's deny him or die, that you would die. I would contend that the real measure of that, if you're standing for Christ and manage what he's given you every day, day after day, boring day after boring day, at work, at home, in community, if you're not willing to do that for Christ, it is unlikely that you're ever going to take a stand nobly for Christ and suffer all. For both demands the same thing of your character. You have to have the same character to stand up and take the loss of all for Christ and say, throw me in the fiery furnace. I will not bow the knee to your idol. It takes the same courage, the same character, the same faith to say, I will manage a third of the kingdom for you, O king, live forever. Day after day after day. Same character. This is our ministry here. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you. You have communicated to us the wonder of your working through those that will take great stands of faith, but we know that great stands of faith are born out of tens of thousands of little stands of faith. This is by faith we will do the mundane again and again and again. They will do our duty day in and day out. That we will honor you in every part of our life, week in and week out. That every relationship, we will seek peace. We will seek an opportunity to minister month in and month out. That within every endeavor, We will do it not for our own interests, but for the benefit of those that we would see in your kingdom, that we would do so year in and year out. And decades, if you call upon us to do so, a lifetime, generationally, that we might serve you in this land. Until you call us home, or until you have come and gather your saints from the four corners of the earth. Lord, until that day that you might find us faithful in great stands, yes, but also in everyday small ways. That we are your stewards, ready to give an accounting for each penny to your glory, honor, and praise. Lord, help us in this. We need it desperately to keep our focus and mind upon it. 
to not grow attached to these things that we manage for this season to your glory, to not have them become our idols, to not allow them to be captivate our attention as though they are our purpose, but they are just tools, instruments. And Lord, keep us balanced in the things of this world. May use them and not love them. That we might lead some and maybe all those that you love and have died for to come to know you as Savior and Lord. And we know that to be the world. Lord, give us that opportunity as we serve you day in and day out. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.